Welcome to church. It's good to be together in God's house today. We're going to read in just a few moments from uh, Luke chapter 3, but before we do, um, we're going we're gonna to do a little bit of uh, grieving together. One of our beloved, not about the Bulldogs, um, Georgia's going to beat Alabama in a month. That's going to be fine. Um, it's just going to make it feel better for all of us Georgia people. We lost a, a beloved member of our church on Tuesday, uh, Grace Lewis, who she and her husband Jonathan and their three kids have been a part of our family for many, many, many years. Uh, she, at 39 years old, um, lost her battle with cancer on Tuesday night. And her husband Jonathan and their three little girls, all of whom are under 10 years of age, um, are just in a remarkable place of grief and sadness and disorientation. And as I look out at this room, many of you are as well. Grace is a, a gift. Um, she is uh, full of life and um, has been, I think, a sign of joy and life in the life of the kingdom to so many of us in this room. And I use the word is because I truly believe Grace is more and is now than she ever was. Um, I, I don't love speaking about the saints of God in the past tense. Um, Paul says to be present, absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Grace is, she's not hurting um, the battle that she had um, and fought so bravely over the last number of years with cancer. Um, she's, she's okay. It's, it's Jonathan and the girls and many of us who, who feel that loss. Um, I am just reminded in a moment like this that death, um, it's not God's idea. Um, death, death only came into the story because of brokenness and pain. And so when we feel the loss um, and when we have the questions of why does a vibrant, life-filled, joy-filled mother of three um, why does she die? Uh, that is ultimately because of something that is demonic. Um, death came into the story because of bentness and brokenness. And so it's, it's normal for us to feel a kind of rebellion against that sense of death. Grace is with the Lord, but the pain is still there. And what we know is that one day God is going to, um, he will kill death. He will wipe away every tear, but that day isn't today. Today we are in pain. Today we are filled with questions. Today we feel like things don't add up and make sense. And many of us, whether we were close to grace or not, in our own story, we feel that disjointedness of what happens when things don't move toward life. They move toward death and loss. So what I would love to ask you to do is to stand up if you're able. And we're going to pray for Jonathan and the girls. Uh, the Bible tells us that in the family of God, and you know, I, I'll just say, I think we make all kinds of things out of church and church becomes like a place for all sorts of things that um, probably have more to do with human uh, ingenuity and human drive than the kingdom of God. And, um, but one of the things the church is supposed to do is to grieve with those who grieve. That's what we're told to do because we're a body and Jonathan and the girls are hurting, and many of you in this room are hurting. And so I would just say, if you are near someone that you know loves um, grace and is hurting, I would just ask you to reach out and touch them right now as we pray. And all of us in our hearts, we're standing with Jonathan and the girls. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come and comfort Jonathan and the girls and Grace's family an extended network of friends. We ask God that you would come and comfort us in our pain and in their pain, in the questions, 
and the loss and the hurt. And God, we come before you in a moment like this and we just know that there aren't good or easy answers. There aren't smooth answers to something that feels so off, so painful, so wrong. And so we don't try to lightly cure hurts and questions. We just enter into this space with you and say, God, have mercy. God, I thank you that grace is not hurting. I thank you that right now our heart is not racing like it was in the weeks leading up to her death. I, I thank you that she is not in that place of de deterioration, Lord. But Father, for those of us who are here, who are left here, we, we feel all of those things and, and more. And so today we pray not for grace, we pray for, for us. We pray for her family and her friends and we ask God that you would have mercy on us and on them. I pray that you would burden this community to be the family of God, to be the, the body of Christ in the days and weeks to come. I pray that you would prompt us and remind us as Christmas comes to um, think about and pray for the girls, for Jonathan, and for each other. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for praying, and we hope you'll continue to. This morning, I, I sat in my devotional space and read Tim Keller's article in The Atlantic. Um, some of you may be familiar with, with Tim Keller, pastor of Church of the Redeemer in New York City. He's just been diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer, and um, it's a, a dark diagnosis. And he wrote um, a beautiful, beautiful piece of facing death and facing uncertainty. Um, and I would just commend that to you if you are looking for uh, not just a way to think about death, but a way to, to watch um, how we maybe enter into liminality and darkness and pain um, and hold on to a sense of, of God. Lord, have mercy on us. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to read from the third chapter of Luke, and then we're going to pray, and then we're going to try our very best to think uh, Advent thoughts together, to allow our hearts to move toward Jesus and toward the season of Advent. Today's text is about John the baptizer, and throughout I will call him John the baptizer because despite my love for the Baptists, I'm not willing to give John to the Baptist church. Um, he was a baptizer. Uh, he doesn't really belong to any of our denominations. I wouldn't call him John the Anglican either, um, but we're going to go with baptizer instead of Baptist, so if that bothers you, um, bless your heart. It's going to be okay. <laughs> In the 15th year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea and Herod, the ruler of Galilee, and his brother Philip, ruler of the region of Iterea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, ruler of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall be made straight and the rough ways made smooth and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we pray in this space, God, uh, the second Sunday in Advent, that you would help us to see and hear John, to see and hear who he was and when he lived and 
what he says, and that you would help us to see and hear the message of Advent coming through, through our brother, John the Baptizer. I pray that you would give us the space today to not think about a million things, but maybe to hold one thing, uh, one thing that would matter, one thing that would give us a space to grow. Help us to be present here, Lord. Help us all to be still enough to, to see and hear what you would want us to see and hear through your word, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This list, um, and I know, I know you because I know myself, when we read the Bible and all these words, um, these names and these places come up that we really can't pronounce or don't know how to, how to think about them, we don't know where they are. I mean, when I was reading this, you know, Abilene's the only word that makes any sense to me because it's a town in Texas, you know. Um, I was so relieved when I got to that word Abilene. It's like, oh, God, help us all. We, we tune out, you know, we, we don't know. And, and this is where... Uh, the sacred and ancient text of the Bible becomes hard for us sometimes because we just think it's just so full of names and places and people and we don't know who these people are. And so what happens is, is that as modern 21st century people, we just sort of unplug and disconnect and we don't know what to do with it. And so what I want to do today is not make you a historian. I just want to locate John the Baptizer in history because this list does that. And you don't have to be a, an anthropologist or a historian to know what it means so today we're going we're gonna to find out what it means, what, what world and what was the world like in which John the Baptizer was born, because that has everything to do with getting ready for Christmas. And I think you'll see that in a few minutes. The first thing I want to say, first of three, only three things today is this. John emerges during the 15th year of Tiberius. And here's what you need to know about Tiberius. He was a harsh and cruel ruler. He did not love the Jews, did not treat the Jews with love and respect, period. John was not born at a time when the sun was shining and the wind was at the back of the Jews. John was not born at a time where it felt safe to plan for your future. John was not born at a time where things seemed steady and stable and hopeful. And it's not just Tiberius. We're given, so that we won't miss it, we're given a list of other names, names that I can barely pronounce. And all of those names, Pilate, Tiberius, and everyone else, all those names add up to tell you and me one thing. It was during a time of harsh and uncertain pain that John came onto the scene. We sit here in the second Sunday of Advent and we want things to feel better than they do. That, that's just what happens. Like I think sometime after about 10 years old, you know, I mean, it, it was whatever the first Christmas was where you opened your gifts and you got clothes instead of toys. Christmas has felt a little weird since then. And then we live long enough and people that we love die and people that we think we should trust let us down and the accumulation of pain happens and we come into a season like this and we just think, what is it all about? Like what, where is that feeling? And it's not about toys. It's not about sentimentality. It's not about nostalgia. And so we sit here in the middle of December and we think, well, what is it all about? 
And for me anyway, when I look at this text and I think about John the baptizer, I think God in his wisdom chose to cause John to be born during a time of remarkable pain in the world. Period. And so if you feel that you are living in a time of remarkable pain, this is your season. This is the time for all of us to take solace in the fact that God doesn't promise easy stuff or happily ever after stuff. He doesn't promise that the sun will be shining and the wind will be at our back, as I said a few minutes ago. He just sends points of light into the dark spaces. And that leads me to the second thing I want to say. John heard God in the midst of that dark place. God started to whisper to John. He started to say things to John. He started to to share a, a message of Advent. This is why John is the principal figure of Advent. Jesus is the principal figure of Christmas. John is the principal figure of Advent. And John was a person that made people feel uncomfortable. Uh, You wouldn't have probably invited John to a party. He ate bugs, he wore scratchy clothes, he lived in the woods. I mean, John was truly, as most scholars would suggest, the last prophet of the Old Testament. He was was the last of a dying breed before Jesus comes. He was um, born essentially at the very end of an age. And John lived in the wilderness, not in the city, His clothes were scratchy. His protein sources were questionable. And people came out to him. And I've been thinking about John because he is the orientation point for me for the Advent season. It's like every year as I start to watch these candles burn down and I think, God, how do I get ready for for the 25th of December? I think about John and John was um, given to solitude. He was given to uh, being alone. He was given to uh, rural places, remote places. He was living in the woods and I don't know much, but what I do know is that living in the city in the 21st century is not the same thing as living in the woods. It's not. And for, for the last four months, for me, I've been essentially living in my own wilderness, my own wood space. When our kids were little, it was the shower because that was the only place we could go to get away from them. Um, and, and in some ways, I feel like I've been in the woods or in the shower for four months just trying to be quiet. And as I think about John and I think about the fact that John did something unique and yet he also prefigures the way we're meant to get ready for the coming of Jesus I'm I'm reminded of the fact that John made choices about solitude and silence that actually made hearing the voice of God something he could do. And as we think about getting ready for Christmas and we think about like, what are the invitations for us as we walk through the Advent season? I believe that one of the principal invitations is for you to find quiet space. And I don't and won't be prescriptive about what that looks like for you because I think it's different for everybody based on stage of life and where you live and how you're wired. But what I do know is that if John were busy, if John were distracted, I don't know that he would have heard the word of God in the way that he needed to hear the word of God. And what I do know is that if you are busy and you are distracted, you probably won't hear the things that you need to hear in order to be a person who's able to navigate listening in the midst of turbulence and darkness. And we're not short on turbulence and darkness. Not not now. 
And in many respects, I think we're living in a very Adventy sort of season, an Adventy sort of time in the world, because there's lots of noise. And so we have a choice to make, I think. I, I think all of us do in our own way, and I think we do as the people of God. We, we can either distract ourselves, we can busy ourselves, we can angst ourselves, um, we can shop and be busy, and we can spend money we don't have to buy presents for people we don't really like all that much, and then wonder why Christmas didn't feel great for us, or we can try to start listening. We can try to mark and redeem time in some way that will actually matter to us, that will actually move us or move the needle in a way that will make a difference. See, I want Christmas to be good. I want it to be good for me. I want it to be good for you, for us. And yet that won't happen without some sort of preparation. And so the message of John is the message of Advent. And it's not a message about a beautiful child coming. It's not a message about peace on earth and goodwill toward men. That, that was the angel's message. That was Jesus's message. John's message was, get ready. This is, this is it exactly. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked ways shall be made straight. The rough ways made smooth and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. That was, that was John's sermon. That was it. And frankly, anything more complicated than that is not an Advent thought. It's not, that's, that's it. That's our job, to hear that sermon. And that leads me to the third and last thing I want to say to you. God is asking you to build and repair your road. And so the picture here the most Advent thing that we could imagine is of a driveway connecting a home to the outside world being overgrown and eroded and full of rocks and brambles. And that there is someone who wants to get to your home, but he can't because the road is all cluttered and messed up. And so the whole sermon of Advent, the, the refrain that we're meant to hear on, what, what is today, the 6th of, of, of December, the 5th or 6th of December, is go outside and slow down enough to look at your driveway and see where there is clutter on the driveway and then work with God to do something in response to what you see. That's how you get ready for Christmas. Some of you are sitting next to a person right now in this room and you know that there is clutter between the two of you. Some of you imagine a, a, a relationship at work or in your neighborhood or in your extended family and you know that there are rocks and boulders that prevent ease of access. The most Christmassy thing you can do is to name that and then say, I can't fix it all, but there's something I can do. There's something I can respond to. And so John, or God, through John, says, prepare. And he note, he doesn't say prepare by, you know, going shopping and kill the fattened calf and, you know, get your, your larder full. He, he says prepare by going outside and looking at your driveway. And the way we look at our driveway is we look at how we connect or don't connect to God and how we connect or we don't connect to the safest, most trusted people in our lives. So where is the Lord asking you to prepare the way? 
And, and I want you to be careful because he's not asking you to do 20 things. When I look at my driveway, I see the 20 things. He's asking you just to sort of hold a thing and then trust God for the next thing. But do you see how this becomes really practical? Because if we abstract our faith to the point that it's just about big and lofty and disconnected ideas, then we never actually move the needle when it comes to actually what does my driveway look like? I can actually go outside and look at my driveway. That's what John was doing. John was trying to get us to do something so fiercely practical, so finite, so tangible that we would be left with no other option other than to face reality or choose not to face reality. So what the Lord is asking us to do, I think, is the easiest, but it's also the most painful thing to do, which is to look at your life and say, God, where is there clutter? You know, we journey toward Advent. Um, it's a journey. It's a walk. And I, I did this in the first service. So I'll just do it again, you know. Um, I just finished rereading uh, The Stand, Stephen King's book, The Stand, which is one of my favorite books of all time. So if you're alarmed by me loving a Stephen King book, I would just say it's, it's pretty awesome. Uh, and there's this moment, the, the book is about, um, it's about good and evil. It's about, it's about Jesus, really. Um, it's fascinating. I'll, I'll say one thing before I say this, because it's been a while since I've been in front of you. Um, Stephen King was once quoted saying, you know, if you want to know the difference between like good and evil and right and wrong and the power of choice, you should read the Harry Potter books. If you want to know how important it is to have a girlfriend, you should read the Twilight books. Um, so Stephen King's a little deeper, I think, than we give him credit for. And in the stand, there's this moment where these guys have been sent by God to go confront evil, to go confront the Antichrist, the devil of hell. And they could have driven, but they're being, they've been given the, the instruction to walk hundreds and hundreds of miles. Um, and as they're walking, they begin to question, why are we walking? And one of them says, I think we're being stripped of all the things we don't need by simply walking. I think we're being pruned and winnowed. And I believe that's what Advent is. It's, it's an opportunity for you to be stripped of things in silence and solitude, things that don't need to define you, but do define us too much of the time. And there's this invitation for us to prepare the way of the Lord by allowing things that should not be your definition to begin to fall off of you. A lot has fallen off of me in the last four months. A lot has left me and left its hold on me that I think had had a hold on me for a long time. And I think you probably carry things that want to define you that shouldn't. How much money you make and your health, your reputation, where your story's going, whatever it is, Advent is a time for you to remove the clutter, but it requires your participation. And I believe the Lord wants to strip away some things so that when Christmas comes, we're actually ready for it. We're prepared. So in a moment, we're gonna to come to this communion table and we're gonna hold something before God maybe. Like what, what's the one rock or the, the one place of erosion that I wanna to tend to? Not all of them, just maybe one. And I believe that the Lord is going to meet us in that place of reflection and he is going to give you a sense of where he wants you to go and how he wants you to navigate in the days and weeks ahead. If you're able to stand together.